I have been living in the library at the university since my eviction three days ago, as the laboratory has proven to have a lack of suitable sleeping spaces. The librarian, Mix Lewiston, works from 8am to 5pm each day, so I wake up at 7, leave the library, and go elsewhere in the university so they do not discover I have been sleeping there. Sometimes I return to the library, but I always leave by 4pm so that I am never there when Lewiston leaves their shift. I return to the library to sleep only after Lewiston has definitively gone home for the day, and then the cycle repeats. This has proven to be a workable routine so far. It does not appear anyone has noticed my inhabitation of the library. I've been exceedingly stealthy. While I keep Mr. Sprinkles and my jar of fleas with me in the library each night for safekeeping, I have convinced one of the students here to whom I am acquainted with to keep both of these in their room during the day. Why do they need to be in my room during the day? Billy Hughes asked. My flat may be mentally stimulating for myself, but it is not mentally stimulating for them. Mr. Sprinkles surely would destroy it if left to his own devices. He needs new landscapes to explore, new frontiers to envelop himself in. Isn't he going to destroy my dorm too, then, once he gets tired of it? It is possible, but unlikely. Sufficient mental stimulation for him is like... Like water to a plant, as long as he has enough but not too much, he will thrive easily, and your dorm provides exactly that, I lied. What about the jar of fleas, though, Mr. Holmes? Have you ever seen fleas chew out of a jar? I am experimenting to see if placing them in new environments helps them avoid this preoccupation. Despite this explanation, Hughes seemed less than enthusiastic to accept the jar of fleas, so while they may have agreed to it, I am looking for a new flea babysitter who may be more amenable towards them. Perhaps there is an entomology student who may be interested. Admittedly, I have been in overall low spirits for the past few days. Normally during a phase such as this, I would prefer to stay locked away in my room, speaking to no one, but in order for me to keep up my facade that I am a normal inhabitant of this university, and not secretly living in the library, I must pretend that I am actually doing something with my time here. In essence, though this exhausts me to my core, I must put on the mask of normality and struggle to keep up enough of an act that no one suspects anything is awry. Reading is a good enough occupation as I can sit there pretending to read, and as long as I at least occasionally turn a page, I can sit there quietly dissociating and no one will find this unusual. Unfortunately, I do not feel as though pretending to read all day, every day, is a good enough cover hence why I have been using the various classrooms and laboratories for a variety of experiments. My appearance here in the university halls is not unknown, or even uncommon. While I have never spent as much time here as I am spending now, I am a frequent visitor. They are used to my antics and experiments, so I am assuming to them it appears I am in one of my usual enthusiastic phases. I find it unlikely that anyone here is observant enough to notice I may be going about my usual experiments, that I'm going about them in a lackluster manner, and much less passionately than usual. My old acquaintance Stamford ran into me earlier, and this has tired me considerably. He was at the university to stop by and say a professor who was an old classmate of his at medical school. Upon seeing him, I instantly deduced the purpose of his visit was to find out whether his classmate had an old missing belonging of Stamford's, one which Stamford had only just remembered that he'd lent to that friend such a long time ago. But now that he remembered lending it, he could think of little else until he found out the fate of his belonging. He clearly also was feeling a lack of socialization and a desire to relive the old days and embrace nostalgia. 
Hence the double benefit of catching up with an old friend while also finding out his belongings' fate. I could tell Stamford had been running late prior to meeting his friend because he had coffee stains all down the front of his shirt from this morning, but apparently hadn't had time to change shirts prior to his meeting, so he desperately had tried to hide this by buttoning up his jacket one button higher than usual. Sherlock Holmes! He shouted, almost shoving his student out of the way as he rushed towards me when he saw me walking from the laboratory to the cafeteria. I rather wanted to hide amongst the students and disappear into the noise and chaos of the hall. Not from any ill feelings towards Stamford himself, because the idea of any additional social interaction beyond what was necessary felt impossibly exhausting. I had already involuntarily looked in his direction when I heard my name being shouted, which meant it was too late for me to pretend I had not heard him and continue walking. So I forced a smile and watched him wade his way over. He reached me and shook hands enthusiastically, then he asked me how I'd been. Stamford is, as they say, uh, a talker, and as much though I didn't want to ask him how he was for fear of prompting him to half an hour's interlude, for the sake of politeness alone, I had to. "'You'll never guess what I was doing here today!' he exclaimed. I already knew the answer, but I did not feel like explaining how I knew any of this, so I feigned interest, which regretfully led to the conclusion of prompting him to talk for an excessively long time." I should have considered that risk more seriously when I preemptively budgeted my energy for this interaction. Otherwise, I would have seen that telling him why he was here may have saved me the energy of having to pretend to be interested in his story. But then again, even if I had told him why I knew he was here, he likely still would have told me his story anyways. Would you believe that Mrs. Gordon put on the most fantastic party the other day? It had French champagne and tape-laced table runners, and she had even rented a pineapple. I'd heard about pineapples, but I'd never seen one in real life before. Oh no, it was now moving on to the inevitable gossip portion of the conversation. Sooner or later, he always began to update me about the most minute details of people whom I barely knew. Each time, I would be forced to spend an uncomfortably long time pretending to listen even as my mind flew to hundreds of more interesting ideas and observations and the energy it took to form my face into enthusiastic and socially acceptable expressions leaped from me like water from an old bucket found in the rubbish heap. Still, Stamford continued speaking about Mrs. Gordon alone for the next ten minutes. He droned on. She always was sub-party type back in school. I'm not surprised she's done so well for herself as a party planner. You know, she just moved in with her partner into a nice flat over on Mulberry Street a few months ago. The way the two of them have decorated is simply gorgeous. You should see, finally, finally, an opportunity to hopefully change the subject. I pretended to sneeze to distract him, and as soon as he said, bless you, I inserted the comment I figured it wouldn't hurt to make. Mostly only because Stamford's large supply of friends and acquaintances to gossip about also meant that he was well-connected and uh, therefore may be a bit of help. Stanford, speaking of flats, I have grown tired of my current lodgings and I'm seeking a new place. I'd be looking for something that's budget-conscious and allows cats, but I prefer solitary lodgings, but I'm, I am open to having a flatmate if that's absolutely necessary. So if you come across anything, please bring it to my attention. Oh, for sure, we'll do. Anyways, Kenneth Appleby, remember Kenneth the Bull Appleby? Yesterday I saw him, and he was wearing a purple ascot, which I thought was very interesting. I had never seen a color purple that was such a such a purple before. It reminded me of the ascot that What's-Her-Face used to wear. Thankfully, at this moment, the lab assistant whom I'd been working with earlier that day, Sarah Jacobson, came into the hall to find out where in the blazes I was. 
I thought you'd, like, passed out or something, she said, walking up to me and poking me in the center of my back. Normally I'd recoil at any such physical contact, but in this situation I made an exception, as it was my gateway out of this painfully boring conversation I'd be unwillingly trapped into on a day which I very much did not have the spoons to do so. Why would I have passed out? I asked, mostly to try to prompt some sort of helpful context out of her for the sake of Stamford telling me to go back to my tasks. Because you were hungry? You said so yourself before you left the lab. You said, wow, I'm so hungry that I'm worried I may faint from hunger. I'm going to go get some food from the cafeteria. Except I knew, yes, I am very, very hungry indeed, I said, leaning on the wall a little to make myself look weak. When Stamford still didn't seem to notice... I held my breath long enough that I began to genuinely feel a bit lightheaded, at which point Stamford finally seemed to notice my distress. Oh, I'm so sorry! I hadn't been aware you were on your way to get food. I'm so sorry for interrupting, Stamford exclaimed. No worries, it was a pleasure catching up with you. It has been such a long time since we've seen each other. I really must go get some food now, but we should catch up sometime when both of us are less busy. Oh, for sure, he said. I'll drop back by as soon as I can so I can finish up taking you and all the interesting developments I've come across lately. Just wait until you hear what Xavier Pembroke said to his butler the other day. Oh, well, I'd love to hear about that, but likely I will be quite busy for the foreseeable future, at, at least until further notice. The door to the cafeteria began to look more and more appealing. I briefly considered making a run for it. I'm free later today if you think it'll be finished by then. Oh, unfortunately, I have an entire day of experiments planned. That's why I barely even had time to eat today. How about tomorrow? I'm free tomorrow, Stanford said, looking very excited. Oh, I've been so rude, I exclaimed, deciding the only way to win this conversation without hurting Stanford's feelings was to exit it without giving him a real answer. This is Reggie Stanford, Sarah. Reggie, this is Sarah Jacobson, my lab partner. Up to lots of exciting things in the lab today, Stanford said to Jacobson. Jacobson did not look enthusiastic, and I gestured at her wildly from out of Reggie's line of sight. Yes, plenty of exciting things, she said, unconvincingly. Good, well, great meeting you, Saren. Great catching up with you, Sherlock. You get some food, and I'll see you soon. He waved goodbye and scurried off before I could protest, likely to find another previous classmate to regale with his stories of butler gossip and pineapples. I turned to head back into the laboratory until Jacobson looked confused and said, Aren't you going to get something to eat? Oh, yes. I was so hungry that I forgot about that. Thank you for the reminder, Jacobson. I did not tell her I was not hungry and that I had only been going to the cafeteria to get more coffee. I knew Jacobson didn't believe me that I was genuinely hungry, so I entered the cafeteria and regretfully picked up a bag in order to prove her correct assumptions about me wrong and keep up the facade I'd been trying so hard to maintain. Jacobson is studying nutrition and does not approve of my questionable and inconsistent eating habits. I've been preoccupied by trying to focus on my experiments instead of the creeping sorrow inside of me, and my body was not registering a need for food in the manner perhaps in which it normally would. I brought my coffee and bagel back into the lab. I set the bagel down on the table off to the side, intending to pretend I had forgotten it was there until Jacobson had also forgotten about it, but Jacobson was sharp and shot me a look signifying she knew what I was doing, so I reluctantly ate the bagel to appease her. By this point, I had lost interest in my experiment too, but in order to keep up this facade, I had to continue to pretend to be interested in it. I chose to repeat mundane elements of the same experiment I had performed a few weeks ago as this required less mental energy than coming up with any new ideas. Okay, we've just got to put some salt right there. No, right there, Jacobson! Why do you insist on putting salt in this body? You performed this experiment three times before. Each time, 
Nothing happens. It's very boring. I do not think you understand the point of my experiment. I don't think this experiment has a point. I was just about to roll my eyes at her and provide a jargon-filled explanation that contained little actual info in an attempt to make my experiment sound like it did have a point when I heard the door open. Sherlock Holmes! Good lord, it was Stamford again. I leaned forward onto the desk, closed my eyes, and rubbed the bridge of my nose in resignation. I was going to be astonishingly burnt out by this evening, and the very idea of being as burnt out as I anticipated opened the gate and let more of the pervasive sense of doom and sorrow creep in. Logically, I knew it was just tiredness, but in that moment it felt as though it would be utterly impossible to cope with. I might have to... I think I may have solved your problem! I looked up from the desk. I'd been expecting a continuation of the story about Mrs. Gordon's pineapple, but I had been incorrect in this assumption. I'd been so engrossed in my exhaustion that I hadn't even noticed the smell of a new presence in the room. Sherlock Holmes, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Dr. John Watson. Sherlock's Box of Curiosities is a podcast written and directed by Ashley Craft and produced by Exquisite Lore based on the Sherlock Holmes stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes was played by Ashley Craft. You can support this podcast by telling your friends about it, giving us a good rating on the podcast side of your choice, or supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can find the links in our description. Thank you for listening.